This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Today we are focusing on verses 2 and 3 of letter number 27 on the good which abides. And I just love these verses. You know, Seneca really speaks from the heart about the awakening of the soul, about, you know, moving away from childish desires and towards something far deeper and more meaningful. Uh, he talks about knowing virtue. And, uh, and these are all just very uh, important aspects of our journey through uh, philosophy or our, our, our path of discovering wisdom and what it means, our path of discovering virtue. And so uh, I'll probably read these and maybe share a little bit of personal experience uh, that I think is the best way for me to share uh, what I get from these verses and what they make me think of. So uh, we'll read this and, and then we'll have a chat. So Seneca says the following, quote, I keep crying out to myself, count your years and you will be ashamed to desire and pursue the same things you desired in your boyhood days. Of this one thing, Make sure against your dying day. Let your faults die before you die. Away with those disordered pleasures, which must be dearly paid for. It is not only those which are to come that harm me, but also those which have come and gone. Just as crimes, even if they have not been detected when they were committed, do not allow anxiety to end with them, so with guilty pleasures... Regret remains even after the pleasures are over. They are not substantial. They are not trustworthy. Even if they do not harm us, they are fleeting. Cast about, rather, for some good which will abide. But there can be no such good except as the soul discovers it for itself within itself. Virtue alone affords everlasting and peace-giving joy. Even if some obstacle arises, it is but like an intervening cloud which floats beneath the sun but never prevails against it. End quote. Okay, so just a few really beautiful lines from Seneca here. I just love his writing, and especially in moments like this where he just, he really just throws, uh, uh, you know, killer sentences at you one by one. And he starts off with this idea that he's kind of speaking to himself and and saying, you know, move away from those childhood desires, those fleeting desires, those uh, kind of worldly pleasures, you might say. And he says, of this one thing, make sure against your dying day that your faults die before you do. And that is probably a quote that you've heard before from Seneca. It's a powerful line, right? But it really shows that this is the mission that Seneca's on. He's trying to clean his soul. He's trying to rid himself of his faults so that he can die an honorable man, right? Uh, and and then he kind of he goes on to talk about something that I'm sure that we all recognize, even if we won't admit it, right? Which is he's pointing out that all of these vain pleasures, all of these desires, these worldly pleasures, uh, they really don't leave lasting satisfaction. And on top of that, they leave you with this remnant, or this this 
this this feeling of guilt, this feeling of uh, anxiety over the fact that you know we we've not acted in our best interests or in the best interests of other people. Uh, what we've done is we've gone after our pleasure seeking kind of desires, and uh, and this has led us down a path that is not good for us. And you know you can you can kind of you can think about this in a few ways, right? Because I, I've certainly heard people talk about well, you know. Uh, well, perhaps the reason why you feel guilt is because of your upbringing or because of your culture and the expectations that, that, that your culture puts on you. It's, it's, there's all kinds of arguments that we can make for, for guilt, but you can also think about, okay, wh- wh- what is the guilt that you're feeling? What does it feel like? And are there different kinds of guilt and different kinds of feeling that you get that resemble something like guilt? You know, because if you can't discern the difference between a guilt that, uh, you know, perhaps has just been put on you by your culture uh, and a guilt that is actually something from deep within you telling you that what you're doing is not quite right or that it's not healthy for you or that it's not sustaining or that it's not meaningful, or that it's not going to lead to anything good. Uh, if you don't know the difference between those kinds of feelings, then perhaps you're not even in the game, right? Perhaps you don't even recognize uh, that there is such a thing as virtue in a human being or excellence in a human being. And there is such a thing as its opposite, vice, which is the thing that is going to rid you of energy in life, rid you of, of meaningful life, rid you of depth in your uh, in your vision of life. Uh, you know, it's going to rid you of, of beautiful experiences that you could be having. And, and so Seneca is on that path moving towards virtue and saying, this is what I want. I want to rid myself of this vice that has caught hold of my soul. And I want to move towards something that is better, right? And uh, and I think that, yeah, sometimes we can just get a little bit too cynical about this idea of, um, of personal guilt and this feeling of, uh, well, yeah, I did mess up. And, and we need to recognize that because, uh, you know, something that Seneca also teaches, which I think is absolutely right, as he says, if you're at the point where you can recognize that there are things that you're doing that are messing up your life, you know, then that's the sign of moral progress. It's the sign that you've actually arrived at a point where you're willing to say, I am imperfect. I've got things to work on. And, and that's a great stage to be at. But if you can't even get to that stage, uh, you know, because you're going to blame your culture on giving you a whole bunch of guilt, or you're going to br- blame your upbringing on giving you a whole bunch of guilt. Well, take some responsibility, right? And, and learn what it feels like uh, when you know that you're not doing something that is in your best interest. I think that the the best thing that I've heard that helped me to develop a, a keener sense of what this feeling is and where it comes from and, and what it feels like actually came from Jordan Peterson. And he said, what you should do is it's a form of prayer. He says, you know, sit beside your bed and and ask yourself, uh, what are the things that I'm doing in my life right now that I know if I keep on doing them, they're going to really mess up my future, right? And he says, correctly, uh, that you'll immediately start to get an answer. You know, I think about that right now. If I think about it right now, in one second, I've got like two or three answers that I know I've got some bad habits that if I keep on doing these, then I know it's not going to be good for my future. That's a really good way to kind of get a sense of that feeling of of, of understanding your vices and, and understanding that they're not going to be healthy for you. It's that deep feeling within yourself that, you know, you might want, you might not want to look at it, Right, but if you actually ask the question, it will present itself to you, and then you have somewhere to to go from. Right? Okay, so Seneca, 
Back to Seneca. He's, he's saying, uh, listen, move away from these childhood desires. Uh, you know, try and make sure that at the end of your life, you've, uh, you, you've rid yourself of these faults. You've become clean because that, that is the sign that you've kind of reached this stage of, um, uh, of moral progress, I guess. Uh, and he's also saying that, uh, you know, we need to recognize that so many of these pleasures, these desires can lead us down these very dark paths and they all, they all have, they all have their, their necessary, uh, 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 what's, what's the right word here? Uh, oh, they, they all take from us in some way. The line that he gives, and I, I think that this is, uh, this is perfect. He says, away with those disordered pleasures, which must be dearly paid for right? Must be dearly paid for. There are no shortcuts in life, right? There's no free rides. Uh, you don't just get to go around uh, living it up with all your pleasure seeking and all your desires and everything and pursuing every worldly pleasure that you want. You don't just get to do that without the uh, su- the subsequent consequence of those actions, right? And Seneca is saying it must be dearly paid for. And so then he kind of goes on to say, uh, they are not substantial. They are not trustworthy. Even if they do not harm us, they are fleeting. So again, he's kind of just trashing vice at the moment. He's kind of saying, listen, wake up, right? <laughs> he's spending the first few uh, sentences in these couple of verses getting us to wake up to the fact that there is such a thing as those things that will eat away at the soul, that will not serve us, that will take us down dark paths that will not be best for us. And we need to wake up to that before we can see the next thing that he's going to show us. So now he says, cast about rather for some good which will abide. Cast about, right? So it seems to me like he's giving us some sort of metaphor here, you know, as if we're casting our nets into the ocean and trying to pull out something that will abide with us. You know, we're trying to find something within ourselves, within the world that is firm as a foundation that we can rely upon, that is going to sustain us, right? I've often made this analogy that, you know, you you think about Heraclitus talking about how uh, life is kind of like a river. The river is always changing, always, you know, the river below our feet uh, is always changing. And so are we, we're constantly changing. You think about how our bodies, you know, every seven years, they say, uh, completely rejuvenate, right? So in a world where we are constantly changing and where everything around us is constantly changing, philosophy is what teaches us uh, what we can rely on, what is a firm foundation. So Seneca is saying here, go, you know, cast about for something that will actually abide. And, uh, and then he says, but there can be no such good except as the soul discovers it for itself within itself. Virtue alone affords everlasting and peace-giving joy. Even if some obstacle arises, it is but like an intervening cloud which floats beneath the sun but never prevails against it. Okay, so Seneca has said a lot in those couple of uh, sentences there. And you'll remember that uh, prior to these sentences, he's telling us about the nature of vice, right? Which is that it doesn't sustain, it isn't meaningful. And in fact, it's going to likely crumble beneath your feet and lead you to way more troubles than it's worth, right? Now, he's then saying we need to find something that will abide, something that is a firm foundation, something that we can rely upon, right? And he says that this thing that we need to find can only be found, right, uh, in itself, for itself, right? He says, uh, but there can be no such good except as the soul discovers it for itself within itself. 
So it's, it's, it's something that is kind of bubbling up from within the soul that is for the soul that is from the soul, right? And it's something to think about, right? Because the, the ancient Stoics, they saw virtue, uh, as, you know, virtue could be kind of defined as excellence, right? Uh, proper function is another way to look at it. Uh, we as humans, there is a right way of being a human. As the, there is the ultimate way. The ultimate way is the life of the sage. That's what we're all trying to figure out. And, you know, that's essentially what the, uh, the Christians tried to figure out with the life of Christ, right? Which is, uh, you know, this is our sage. This is the ultimate person. If you could be like anybody, this is exactly what it's like. And so the sage uh, to the Stoics was this ultimate representation of virtue, or you might say the personification of virtue, right? And so one thing that they also believed that we all really need to understand when reading this stuff is that they believed that virtue was the reward in itself, right? You don't need anything other than virtue to, uh, to, to give you that great reward that comes from virtue. It is the reward, right? Just having virtue is the reward. And here's something to think about. Okay, so uh, if it's something that comes from within, right? So it comes from itself and is for itself. Now, what, what does that remind you of? To me, it reminds me of this kind of, uh, this, this, this dual nature of the reward system that we have as human beings. You know, we have this uh, seeking after what they call extrinsic reward, right? Which is kind of when you're doing something uh, for some sort of external reward. Uh, you know, a, a good example I've seen uh, was, do you play piano because you love piano or do you play piano because somebody's telling you you have to learn something or that you want some sort of reward at, uh, at, at a competition, right? That's an extrinsic reward. Uh, whereas the intrinsic reward is when we're doing something because it gives us a feeling of deep meaning within. We're doing it because we love it. That's when you play piano uh, because you love the instrument and you just want to uh, be there experiencing that, right? So he's saying that virtue is that kind of thing. It's an intrinsic reward. The reward is within ourselves, right? And it comes from ourselves, right? Because he says the soul discovers it for itself within itself. It is within us. So virtue is something that is the reward in itself, and it is something that we find within us. And this is why Seneca goes on to say that virtue alone affords everlasting and peace-giving joy, right? Because virtue, let's put it like this. Uh, let's say there's like a pyramid of things that you could be focusing on in life. The thing at the very top of the pyramid, the one thing that shines at the top, right, is that one thing that if you would focus on that one thing at every moment in your life, then everything below that one thing in the pyramid would be taken care of. Now, you can choose to go down to the lower things, right, and you can focus your efforts around there. But ultimately, it's going to be, you're going to be running in circles, right? Because uh, you could be focusing on something that fixes all the problems at once, right? And so if you think about what's the thing that fixes all the problems at once? Well, the idea that the Stoics try to get across to us, right? Uh, and that is also found in Christianity in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, uh, is this idea of virtue or proper function, right action, appropriate action, correct duty, whatever you like to call it. In this moment, right? Virtue is the thing that fixes all things at once when you engage in a virtuous act. And it is a reward in itself and it comes from within ourselves. 
So I hope that what you're getting here is is a better kind of picture or understanding of what virtue might look like, what it feels like, right, in your life, because that's really what you want to develop. It's, it's, it's almost like you want to develop a communion with the principle of virtue or the, the idea of virtue. What would it mean for you in your life uh, to live a virtuous life? What would it mean for you to display excellence as a human being? What would it mean for you to uh, display correct judgment and discernment in this? This moment for your life, and you know, I, I I have to I have to read this next bit because it's it's so important. This is one of the most important things that you can learn about virtue, right? He says, even if some obstacle arises, it will be like an intervening cloud which floats beneath the sun but never prevails against it. And so, what can this show us about what virtue is and what its nature is? Well. Uh, Seneca suggests that virtue is kind of like the sun, you know, it's, it's actually not an uncommon uh, kind of mythological metaphor. Uh, it's this thing that uh, shines brightly, you know, it's something that shines forth to us. It's something that uh, cannot be blocked by the clouds that may move above it and or below it. And, uh, and, and this is something to think about, right? Because uh, even mystics, for example, who uh, achieve this enlightened state in life, they still say, look, there are days when I don't have a good day, I have a bad day, you know, and, and, uh, but ultimately you still have that vision. You still have that awareness. You still have that sight of, of, of what is beautiful, of what is, of what is true. Right. And, and so, so this is kind of this idea of virtue. It's like something that once we have a hold of it, right. Remember Seneca said that the path of philosophy shouldn't be a path that doesn't have a destination, right? There is a destination. It might not necessarily mean no worries for the rest of your life, but it certainly is a destination of seeing something that you didn't see before, right? And even when you have a bad day or a rough day, you might say, or a day when something doesn't go quite right, uh, you can still see the sun shining through, the light shining through, because you've got that image of virtue and what it means and what it means for you in your life. That's at least the best way that I can put it. And if I can just solidify my thoughts with some personal experience here to get you to see, uh, at least from my perspective, what it means to get a picture of virtue so that uh, it never leaves your mind, right? It never leaves uh, your sight. Uh, so, you know, many of you will have been following me for some time, and you know that in late 2019, I decided that I was going to quit my uh, successful uh, career in, in, in gym management, um, and, uh, and I was actually going to go back to the podcasting coaching full-time, which meant no stable income from the start, uh, you know, going from a stable income and a good income to, to none. Um, and it meant leaving a career that was genuinely successful and on an upward trajectory. You know, uh, I was getting all kinds of opportunities. I was already managing within two years within the industry. I was managing a very successful new club that later on went on to win the best new club of Australia. Um, you know, uh, I was getting opportunities from corporate to take on dying clubs and build them up and actually get a uh, you know, a pretty significant stake in the club. Um, so yeah, I was getting really good opportunities, but 
there was some question that Jordan Peterson asked that gave me a new picture of what virtue meant, right? And what it would mean for me. And it really allowed me to see that virtue shining forth in my life and calling me to something better, something deeper and more sustaining than where I was. And the question was, he said, you know, you should conceptualize the highest possible good for you and your family and your career and your country, you know, uh, what would be the best possible thing that you could aim at that would be good for you, genuinely good for you and others. Uh, and then you should aim at it. And he said that the reason you should aim at, is it, aim at it is because you've got nothing better to do than that. And that just, it was like a slap in the face. It was like, of course, of course, there's nothing better to do than that. Of course, there's nothing better uh, than to conceptualize the highest possible good and to move towards that in your life. That's the thing that shines forth to you. To you, uh, It's the thing that shines forth from within. What is it that is calling you? Uh, you know, what are your talents? What are your skills? What are the things that you're drawn to that interest you that you could genuinely contribute to if you decided to pour your heart and soul into it? And so from then I decided, okay, this is the moment. I'm, I'm quitting my job. I know it's a successful career and it's on an upward trajectory, but that doesn't matter as much as following what is deeply meaningful to you. And so I decided to do that. And now, you know, we're, we're about one and a half years into this experiment and I'm, I'm sitting here and on my desk is my very first book, The Poet and the Sage, you know, and, and it's not the book that I thought I'd write. It's the book I had to write because it, it was something that bubbled up from within me. It's poetry, it's prose, it's, you know, a, a deep understanding of who I am because I never thought that I would be a poet. I never was interested in poetry, but this is the thing that shined forth to me as I began that creative process. I have got an album out, you know, which was deeply meaningful. You know, I'm a musician and I needed to return to that. I needed to return to my musicianship because it's so much a part of who I am. That to me is virtue. It might not be to you, but to me it is because it's a part of who I am. It's living in agreement with my nature. And then I also think about the relationships I've built, the people who have come on with my my coaching and the, the beautiful relationships that I've built with them and how they have inspired me, how they have changed me as a person. The people I've got to interview on the podcast, you know, that it, it all stems from that decision to say, I'm going to actually decide right now to to go after that thing that shines forth, the deeper meaning that calls me forth, right? That's what I'm going to pursue. And that is virtue of the soul, right? And I'm not saying that I have attained virtue. I'm not saying that I am virtuous. I'm not saying that really I'm responsible for any of this. What I am saying is that I can see the way that virtue works because you follow something that feels deeply meaningful, right? You you know you get to you start to get a sense of what virtue looks like, what it feels like. And then once you get the proof of how it works in your life, then it's going to truly sustain you, right? Because I know uh, that for the rest of my life now, I've got the proof that when I go after things that are deeply meaningful over things that may be expedient or over uh, monetary value or over material value, right? When I go after the things that bubble up, uh, up from my soul, the goods that come from within my soul, as Seneca would say, when I go after those things, that's when really good things happen. Not necessarily in terms of external success, but internal 
feelings of meaning and satisfaction. I can rely on that. I can't rely on the external success. And I just want to reiterate, you know, this isn't a kind of, I'm not trying to be prideful here. I'm trying to, you know, express gratitude for the fact that uh, I've actually arrived at this place where I can recognize what is truly intrinsically uh, valuable and, uh, and, and what is not, you know, what sustains me, what does not sustain me. And listen, I've got a long way to go. As we all, I've got a long way to go in terms of the purification of my soul, you might say. Uh, you know, that let, let's let's call upon the wisdom of Jim Rohn here. He said, uh, you know, listen to what I say, but don't watch too closely, right? Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, when you get that picture of how virtue can work in your life uh, and how it is just so much more sustaining than uh, than than pleasures and, and pleasure seeking and desires and all these sorts of things that we kind of go after in life, um, you know, man, like it's it's proof. It's proof for you that the philosoph- the philosophical journey, it's it's going somewhere. It's it's pulling you somewhere uh, that is meaningful and that is going to sustain you. So anyway, I think I'm going to leave it there. I just really love these couple of verses from Seneca. You know, go back and read them, go back and study them, because there's a lot in there that can teach us about uh, living a meaningful, sustaining life and going after things that are truly worthy of our efforts and time. Uh, So again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I will talk to you next time.